The world is constantly changing. We change styles, we change friends, we change loyalties, but the God of the universe doesn't change. He isn't diluted by our sin or our opinions. Darkness can't overtake him. So when we come in contact with him, our selfishness and pride melt like ice to water. God's light shines into the darkest crevices of our heart and we are transformed. When we put our faith in Jesus, we are transformed by his mercy. We change in the way we treat the poor and the rich, where we would normally mouth off and speak out of turn, we bite our tongue. Where we would normally flex our greatness, we hold off in humility. Ultimately, we don't do good things to earn Jesus' love. We show mercy because a greater grace was shown to us. As we move through our series in the book of James, we can find confidence in the love of God and we can live it out because ultimately, faith works. James Wisdom for Real Life. That was, uh, that was our friend Alice doing that video. I think she did a great job. Uh, I'm Pastor Dale. I'm stoked to be here with you guys today. Um, if you would turn to your Bibles to James 1. Now, James is going to be found at the back of your Bible. It's uh, just right after Hebrews. Um, what I want several of you to do, if you feel like you can do that, is to open up your Bible, look at the table of contents, um, and then find James there so that the person next to you that needs to do that doesn't feel weird. Um, we have Bibles in the back available. We have free ones. Uh, we just have all kinds of Bibles in the back. We would love for you to, to have one. One of the things I love about the, the regular Bible instead of the, your phone, which your phone is great, um, is just we've uh, seen studies that say you process your phone differently than you process a book. And you tend to not believe your phone as much, and you tend to not believe, and then you tend to skim your phone more. So that's why uh, we open up books. Um, but I know like 50% at least are going to be on their phones today. Also, I know it's football season, so that might have something to do with it as well. So um, uh, for the translation, buenos dias, si necesita escuchar el sermón en español, tenemos dispositivos de traducción para usted al costado de la sala. Well, uh, welcome to our series in James, friends. Uh, it's called Faith Works, and you'll figure out pretty quickly why it's called Faith Works. Uh, Alice did a great job, and... Uh, what you'll see today, uh, what you'll see in this series is that faith without works is dead. That's what James says. That's not something I'm making up. If you say you have faith, but there's no signs of it, do you truly have faith um, is the question that James asks us. Um, it is widely agreed that this was written by James, the brother of Jesus. Now, this has been believed for a few thousand years now, so I think that we can confidently say this book was probably written by James, the brother of Jesus. Interestingly enough, in this book, he's going to call other Christians my brother, brethren, um, but he calls Jesus, his real brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, now, my older brothers and sisters uh, changed my diapers um, as recently as last week, um, but no, uh, they, they uh, saw my grades in school. Uh, they saw my terribly messy room where for some reason I had this idea that if I just put old gum on my, like, post of my bed that no one would see it. That's so nasty, right? Um, and a few of them bought me beer when I was a kid. So 
Uh, here's the thing. It's a challenge for my siblings to call me anything but an idiot because they know me. They know all of me. They know every part of me. They know my history. They know who I was back in the day. And uh, here, you have to understand that James is calling his brother, his brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. He calls his brother God. So, wait, he was always around Jesus, right? Like, surely he would have seen Jesus break behind the scenes. But this book shows us that James saw who Jesus was behind the scenes, and he truly was God. Can you, can you imagine that? Now, the, the book of James is called an epistle, which is basically a letter from an apostle of Jesus. Now, believers in Islam refute epistles. Here's why they do it. They say, this was added later. But here's what I tell you. It was added by the people that Jesus trusted the most. So if, if Jesus trusted James, if Jesus trusted Peter, if Jesus trusted Paul by way of, you know, that's a little more interesting. But here we see that, no, 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 no. This, this was God's word and Jesus trusted these men to speak. And so I think we should too. Um, so uh, James trusts Jesus so much that James calls himself a doulos to Jesus, which is a bond servant. Another uh, word that we use is a slave. He calls himself a slave to his brother. If I asked one of my siblings to call themselves a servant to me, I would hear something like, yeah, I'm a slave. I'm a slave to shut your face. You're, you're getting a wedgie, Dale. So that's, the, that's what you can expect from one of my siblings, maybe back in the day, maybe not now. Um, although, no. Um, but James trusts and respects his half-brother, Jesus. So let's trust James, and let's trust God's word this morning as we get into James 1. Um, and uh, that's kind of your quick introduction to James, um, and we're going to dive deeper today. Um, James 1, 1 through 4. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes dispersed abroad. Greetings. Now, one of the things that's funny, I'm just going to stop us for a second. Um, this is like one of the shortest greetings in the entire Bible of an epistle. James is like me. When you guys see me and I'm thinking about something, I go straight up to him and I'm like, hey, what about that thing? <laughs> like, I, I don't say hi. I don't say how's the weather. Like, I just go straight to it. Uh, I don't mean to. That's just kind of my personality. So I try. I really try hard. Um, but this is how James goes. He just goes straight at it, straight to it. And the, the other thing that's worth drawing attention to is who is this written to? Now, a lot of times we like to read commentaries that tell us who wrote this for who. James tells you, it's me, James. Okay, that's helpful because we want the Bible to tell us what the Bible says. And then he says, this is written to the 12 tribes dispersed abroad. Tw the 12 tribes is a sign for Israel, but this is the new Israel. This is the Israel that is found in Christ, okay? Um, so what this is saying is, is this is basically to everyone who calls themselves a Christian, okay? Um, you'll find that James has a bit of an ax to grind. No doubt he knows what's going on all over, okay? Um, the poor are being mistreated by Christians, Christians are mistreating Christians. Um, some Christians are being persecuted to death in these places. That's also important to know. Um, this general epistle is to everyone, and so it covers a lot of ground. It's almost like proverbial wisdom in some ways, like Pro the book of Proverbs, because it, it jumps all over the place. So sometimes I'll combine here with here because they're the same idea. Um, but this general epistle is to everyone, and so it covers a lot of ground. And I may... I, I may uh, show you today and, and throughout the weeks that this applies to all of us. Um, so I hope that you'll see that. Now I can continue in the Bible. Okay, verse number two. 
Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Now we're going to skip down to verse 12 because I think these fit together well. Blessed is the one who endures trials, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God. Since God is not tempted by evil and he doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then after desire has, con has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Let me pray for us, friends. That's God's word. Father, this morning your church clings to your hope. Thank you for wiping our tears away. Thank you for holding us close in the struggle. Thank you for our victories that could not have happened without you. Lord, this morning we ask that you would do the miraculous. Would you break the chains in our lives? Would you deliver us from drug abuse, alcohol abuse, fear, oppression, and whatever else drags us down this morning? Because so many of us come this morning bearing burdens that are too heavy to carry. Lord, as it gets dark, would you shine brighter? Please shine bright for us this morning, Lord. We need you more than ever. Teach us from your word. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be pleasing to you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, um, we're talking about trials today. And I love it when I get to preach about trials because I don't know if you know this by now, but when, when the Lord gives a sermon to a pastor, it's usually for that pastor in some capacity. And so the Lord knows... Uh, that I needed to hear it because, man, the last few weeks I've been hammered. Not, oh, wait, I've not been hammered uh, drunk, but I've been hammered by situations around me. Um, someone's going to like edit that and just put like a video of it, just pastor saying, I've been hammered. You could probably make a couple hours of me just saying funny things on accident. Um, but today we're talking about various trials. Now, the original Greek can be translated as follow, falling into unexpected trials of various kinds. And by various, it's basically a junk drawer saying. Um, you know, like when you use the word thing or stuff. Here, various just means stuff or things, like a lot, like random, all kinds of things. There's no like deeper meaning to it. Now, uh, scholar Scott McKnight believes that this is referring to a few different things. One, persecution of Christians, but it could also just as easily include things like food shortages economic injustice towards Christians. He also points out that trial can be just as much how we respond to poor treatment as anything. McKnight cautions the reader, reader not to narrow this term and decide what we think it means, but to keep it wide open. And since he's a scholar, and since I'm just trying to read a bunch of scholars, I'm going to trust him a little bit on this. It's a general term, so it can mean many things. Um, there's not much to it in that way. But as a pastor, I want to tell you that secret about preaching. If you preach on something, God's going to teach you about it. <laughs> um, what is the best way to teach a pastor about various trials is for me to experience them. And I think perhaps at times we don't want to put this on God. I'm not putting this on God, but I'm saying God knew that I would receive various trials in the last few weeks. And he gave me this beautiful scripture to help me understand it and help me to preach out of it. So three things. Uh, oh, oh, so the world is telling us what is normal. But the more we follow God, the more we realize that we are not normal. Now, I know you like to think you are Christians, but you are not normal. <laughs> um, we are Christ followers, and any leader that would die for his followers rather than use them, that is unique. That is unique in our culture today. And so today, I'm going to give you three things that us weirdo Christians do, 
okay? Three things that us weirdo Christians do. And our first one is Christians find joy in hardship. Christians find joy in hardship is our first one. Verse 2 says, Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect, so you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Now let me say this. Um, there is only one of the apostles that made it through um, without being uh, murdered, okay? So when James is saying this, I know that you have that person in your life sometimes that when you're struggling, they come around you and be like, hey, just don't worry about it. God's in control. And you're always like, shh, shush. Like, I don't want to hear it. But I will say to you that there's a few people in our Bible that understand and have gone through it, have been through the ringer. James is going to be one of them who understands. So when he says to you, hey, various trials are coming, find joy in them, dude knows about various trials, okay? So I just want to say that to you. Um, the next time someone comes to you and says, God has a plan, and you're like, mm, I don't want to know about that right now, James is telling you God has a plan, and he actually has been through it, that he is qualified to tell you that, okay? Now, um, in this moment, Christians were starting to experience serious persecution, um, and James was speaking in some very hard situations. It was a very violent time for Christians all over the world, and they were starting to consider, should we fight back? Like, hey, if they want to bring a holy war, we'll bring a holy war right back. This is what the Christians at the time were considering. And here is James, um, who is having to decide as a leader, as Jesus' brother, how do I respond to this? Now, there was archaeological evidence of mass killings of Jews and Christians during this time by Roman leadership. Like mass, mass graves that were considered to be murder. Like, we have found these. Um, and it's a time when many, many would be calling for Christians to pick up their weapons and defend themselves. Like, that seems pretty normal, right? If, if you're going to be killed, like, should you not pick up a weapon and respond? And here James is saying, chill, let's talk about this. Now, according to, to Gay Byron from Howard University, she says, James is seeking something more foundational than patience or nonviolence. Even if it is in a militant or resistant mode, James is calling for spiritual discipline that will provide strength, support, and a connection to God in the face of various hardships. Friends, Gandhi was noble when he said, don't fight back. That is a noble thing that Gandhi would say. Go before the British and just have them beat you down. And at some point, they're going to see, they're gonna, their consciences are going to stop them. But this is not what James is saying. James is telling you not to fight back, but also to seek God in the struggle and understand his purpose even in the rough stuff. This goes beyond just don't be violent. This goes beyond don't actively, this goes beyond don't actively be nonviolent. This is saying something further. This is saying, seek God in the midst of this struggle. Find your strength with God in the struggle. It's a time of unrest, and Christians are looking to the brother of Jesus to tell them what to do, and he responds. He says, trials make us who we are. Trials are good for you. Now, that's the New Dale translation, but I think that that is a true translation of what he's saying. Now, what he doesn't say is this. Here are six steps to conquering the trials in your life, which sounds really nice. And if we turn on the TV on Sunday, I bet you we can find someone saying that. Or they might say, here's six steps to conquering the Goliaths in your life, or any kind of thing like that. But he just says, yeah, it's awful, right? It's really hard, right? But it's good for you. <laughs> It reminds me of the way my parents talked about the lima beans. They would say, hey, we know this is gross, but you just need it. We know that lima beans are awful, but you just need them. 
Brothers and sisters, I, I hate to say this to you, but we need struggle. We need trial. Let me say this. Uh, I, I lived in Kansas for like seven years. Um, when I lived in Wichita, Kansas, I struggled with things to do. Wichita was not, you know, it was by far the smallest city I'd ever been in in my life. Like 400,000 people, that was like, I mean, I lived in Orange County, Los Angeles, and San Diego. It was tiny, right? They had two things that you could do in Wichita that I just, I, I thought were amazing. One was like, look at tornadoes. Like, that was so cool. Like, the storms that sh like shook the house and things like that. I love tornado season. Um, until it would go over your house, tornadoes were awesome. Um, like, hail, all that stuff. Weather was amazing, except for the heat, except for the extreme cold. But the other thing that there was to do in Wichita was the Wichita State Shockers. They were a basketball team, if you didn't know. And uh, the Shockers were the Wheat Shockers, which everybody laughed at me because I was gluten-free and I was in a place where they had the Wheat Shockers. Um, but college basketball was happening in Wichita. Like, you would go to a stadium of about, I don't know, 10, 10 plus thousand people, and it would be like even old people that would stand up the whole time and scream, like, come on, make that basket. Like, like dude, like an old dude in like a really nice suit and all that stuff where I would be like, man, that guy, I just would not imagine it. But it was so fun. Like, I felt like from the outside, this arena, Charles Koch Arena, was like, like swelling with excitement when there was a game. Like the whole town was fired up. This was the thing that I love to do. All right, I'm getting some Kansas people fired up. Now, now um, the Shockers were a special part of, of uh, Wichita because uh, they were good. And so one, one season they went to the Elite Eight. Um, if you know college basketball, that's good. Um, out of 64 of the best teams in the, the country. And then one year they went to the Final Four. Um, but there was another special season. And that special season was 2013 and 2014 season. Um, they had this dude named Ron Baker, not like Ron Baker who sells cars here. There's a guy named Ron Baker who went on to play several seasons for the New York Knicks. Um, if you don't know, that's good. Um, they had another dude named Clee Anthony Early who also played in the NBA for a few years. Um, they also had this dude named Fred Van Vliet. Um, who should have been the MVP in the NBA Finals this last year, but, you know, they wanted to give it to Kawhi, I guess, or whatever, but he was amazing, right? So, yeah, that season, 2013-14, was loaded with talent. I mean, guys coming off the bench, amazing. Um, so here's the thing, though. They didn't play very good teams for a lot of the season. Like, they played a lot of really bad teams. And, and that season, they went 34-0. and 34 wins, zero losses. That, that's also good, okay? They played against people who are now lawyers, doctors, you know, everything else, social workers, teachers, and they destroyed them, just destroyed them. Um, and then they started the tournament, the NCAA, tur NCAA tournament, okay? They started at 34-0. And then uh, they went against and destroyed basketball powerhouse. Wait, let me check my notes. Basketball powerhouse. California Polytechnic State University Mustangs. Powerhouse, right? Okay, maybe not, right? They went against a bad team for their first game in the tournament, and they destroyed them, right? So they went in with, like, swagger into the tournament. The problem is, is that the next game that they played in the round of 32, and I don't know if you're not into sports, if I'm losing you, but I'm hoping you're staying with me. In the round of 32, they met up with this team, I don't know if you've ever heard of them, called Kentucky. Kentucky has 11 national championships. San Diego has like zero in any major sport. Kentucky, just in basketball, has 11 national championships. So they went up against a bunch of future NBA players as well. 
And at the end of the game, Fred Van Vliet, his three-pointer missed, unlike, um, you know, in the, MVP, in the NBA finals against Golden State, if any of you guys are bitter, um, he did make those. But in this game, he missed. And I can tell you by the time it was done, you know, I had no fingernails left because I was biting them, and the dentist says I should stop doing that, but it was amazing. So we lost. Now, here's the thing I think. I think they could have beaten Kentucky. I think they were better than Kentucky. But they never lost before that. When they fell behind against Kentucky, they didn't know how to come back. They had never experienced any trial in any game that year. When they started losing, they didn't know how to rally each other. They didn't know how to build each other up because this was new for them. It wasn't like one of those things where you could go, hey, hey we've been in this, this loads of time. We've done this loads of time. Come on, we know we're going to come back, right? No, 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 no. They had been ahead like every game against everyone. They barely went behind to anyone the whole season, 34-0, right? 35-0. They started losing, and they didn't know what to do. The best thing for them that season would have been to lose a regular season game. But alas, they did not struggle. And when they came to lose, they were woefully unprepared. Now, I've probably lost some of you that like basketball. Let's get back to it. But one of the best things about trial, though, is who it draws you to. If things were always good, would we ever go to God? If things in your life were always good, would you ever look to God and ask for help? No, because you're good, because you made it all happen. All the good, that's all you. Good job. Now, remember uh, what we say in our church about who interprets the Bible best. Um, is it you? No. Is it me, your pastor? No. Is it uh, the pastor has that really awesome jet on TV? Heck no. Is it the Pope? No. So who interprets scripture best? That's right, scripture. So I got a nice scripture that's going to interpret this for us. It's going to help us to understand this at a deeper level. And that's Romans 5, 3 through 5. Romans 5, 3 through 5. I'm going to take a sip. All right. And not only that, but we rejoice in our afflictions because we know that afflictions produce endurance. Endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So we see that these afflictions, it's affirmed here in another verse that these afflictions are good for us and they give us true hope. They give us proven character. <laughs> they, they give us... Um, endurance, and they help us. Friends, you will need to hear this a hundred more times to internalize it. Because when the moment comes, we will find ourselves saying, mm, hard things are not from God. <laughs> well, at least God's not going to use hard things. But struggle is good for you, friends. It makes you endure well, and it helps with your character, and it draws you to God. It draws you to God. Uh, okay, now let's talk about our second thing that weirdo Christians do. Uh, they take responsibility. That's number two. They take responsibility. Verse 13, no one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God, since God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. So God may send trials, but James is making it clear that he's never sending you temptation to sin, okay? Let me say it again. God may send you trials, but he's not behind things that cause you to sin. Does that make sense? Okay. So you often have more, let me say, I often have more to do with the temptation than I would like to admit. Sin comes from the inside. Verse 14, it said, but each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. 
I once heard a pastor talk about sin like a lion cub. And this was so helpful to me, so I'm going to say it to you. Totally, absolutely stolen. I'm just telling you straight up. A lion cub is cute and cuddly. And you think to yourself, huh, I'll name you Simba. So easily controlled at the moment. So satisfying to have it cuddle in your lap. You know it's a cat, right? So it probably purrs, you know, when you're petting it. This is never going to be a problem. I got this. This sweet little lion cub is not going to mess with me. That's your sin. But as it grows, you like to think that you can control it, right? You are so smart. Look at you. You got this in control. You're okay. Okay, it's a little bigger, but you're still, you, you, you got this. And you say to yourself, I can look at some porn online. It's not going to affect me. Matter of fact, I don't even look at porn. I just watch shows and movies on Netflix with nudity and sex and all kinds of things, but I can control this. I can turn it off whenever I want. Now, I'm not sure what your sin actually is. For some, it's obvious things. It's PCP, it's crack, some things like that. But for some, it's just anger. Like you yell at someone and it feels so good, right? Like, like your body releases endorphins when you yell at someone. You can be addicted to that too. And so the little lion starts to grow bigger paws, right? You aren't addicted to it though. You're not addicted to it. You just need to smoke weed four times a day, but you're not addicted. You just need four shots of Remy Martin at night to go to sleep, or you just need to check your phone 400 times a day. No addiction there. I, I got this in control. The lion cub starts to get a little heavier, though, doesn't it? Now the cub has claws, and it can dig into your gut. But you built a little cage now around him, so he knows what's up. You're in control. Look at you. You are so clever, right? You got this. You aren't addicted to overworking but you did put in some extra hours the last six weeks for that project, and now you got a raise. Of course, your new boss expects you to level up after the raise, so you better get ready to work some more hours. The lion gets bigger and bigger and bigger and starts to want to control you. At some point, the lion gets large, doesn't it? It has a full-on mane. I looked how big their teeth are, four inches, canine teeth. That controls you. And the lion is no longer a gentle Simba, is it? It doesn't sing songs in a gentle tenor, does it? No, it wants to control you, and it will. It will, friends. You don't know how you got there, but you let some sin in, and now it is a raging beast in your life. I just want to read you some headlines I found online. August 21st, 2019, New York Daily News. That's pretty recent, right? Big cat owner at South African Game Reserve killed in lion attack. No, 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 he, he's in charge of the lion. He oversees the lion. He's in control of the lion. Maybe this dude. May 2nd, 2018, lion attack. British man mauled by big cat he has raised since a cub before animal put down. Also, video shows lion maul man who bottle fed him as a cub. Let me read you one more. March 5th, 2019, check man mauled to death by lion he kept in backyard. If we think we can keep sin around when it's small, when we think we can put the blame on anyone else, when we think we can hold this, when we think we can get our arms around it, when we think we're stronger than it, we can build a cage and protect ourselves from it, it will find you out, friends. It will come at you. Now, 1 Peter 5, 8 says this, be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. So you let it into your life, it will devour you, friends. Do not overlook your enemy. He wants to see you destroyed. He loves to see people leave church and true community. He wants you alone. He wants you isolated because you're easier to gang up on. And when you are alone, he will eat your soul. 
Is that strong language? Yes. But it won't be enough for some to change. Don't blame that on God. You are not allowed to blame that on God. You welcomed it into your house. You welcomed it into your brain. And now it has tasted blood. Now it has tasted blood, friends. So us Christians find joy in hardship. Weirdo Christians take responsibility, understanding that if we let sin in, it will control us. And it is us who lets the sin in. It's not God trying to tempt us to sin. And then we have our third point, which is uh, Christians finish well. Three things us weirdo Christians do. We finish well. Verse 12, blessed is the one who endures trials, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Now, the first section that we read has trial, like more like an on-earth vibe, right? Trials are like sandpaper. They hurt, but they transform you for good. But here we have an eschatological impact. I just want to say that to sound smart. Um, This is about the very end, friends. Eschatology, it's about the very end. He's not talking about practice anymore. We're talking about practice. James is no longer talking process. He's talking about finished, finishing well at the finish line. Now, uh, there's this guy, Triple E, and he says this. He says, the victor ain't the one that's winning seventh inning. Trophies don't go to the one that's got a good beginning. When I say I win, I don't mean the state I'm in. I mean the day when the grace got fade out then. I'm winning because I ran with him. He's talking about the end. He's talking about finishing to the end. But we all have to understand, friends, finishing well is less about who you choose to be. It is less about who you choose to be, friends, and more about the work of God that he did on your behalf. It is less about who you choose to be and more about who you choose to follow. Because he does the majority of the work. And this is why we celebrate the gospel. That the Bible says that we were dead in our sins. We were left for dead in our sins because we were enemies with God. But God didn't come at us with a hatchet. God came at us with a plan to save us. So Jesus came from heaven and came to this earth, and he put on a suit of meat. He put on the incarnation. It was God in the flesh, God in the meat for us. Then he lived this perfect life. The whole time, James, his brother, was probably looking at him sideways, waiting for him to slip up, and he didn't. He lived a perfect life because he was a sacrifice for us. You guys have seen the times when someone sins and hurts a child or anything like that, and you think, ooh, I want, I want them to get taken out. That sense of justice that's in your heart, well, we all deserve that. And yet God willingly came to us as friends rather than enemies, and he died on the cross for us. Our, our Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross for us so we might have life and life more abundant. But he didn't just die on the cross. He rose again on the third day. And why did he rise again? Because he had to show that he was victorious over my sin, over your sin, over my death, over your death. The death was not the end. This was the death of death. And this is why we talk about finishing well, because in the day that we finish, we will find our Lord there waiting for us, welcoming us into his arms, not by anything we have done, but because he has worked in us. Now, we do good things because of that, right? Good things come out of us because he's doing good things in us, not because we try harder, because try harder Christianity doesn't do anything. You just need to do, just be better. No, we have to trust God to work in us. We have to ask God to help us because we just can't do it on our own. And once God has you, he holds on to you. He never lets you go. You finish well because God is good at finishing well. Once he has you, he holds on. How do I know this? The Bible. Ephesians 1, 11 through 13. Ephesians 1, 11 through 13. In him we have also received an inheritance, 
because we are predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will. So we who had already put our hope in Christ might, also, might bring praise to his glory. Now here's the big one. In him, you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you, when you believed. So what this is saying, friends, what this is saying is you have been sealed like a, like a letter with wax. That God has put that promise in your envelope that you are, and he has sealed it. And your salvation is not based on your good works. Your salvation is based on his. And then the greatest thing tends to happen when we are saved in him, we do something crazy. We do good works. Not to earn his love, but because he loved us first. What good news. Now, some of you are saying this in your head, I hope. That's great, pastor. I know God is with me, but I still have those temptations right now. As soon as I leave today, after smiling, hugging everyone, I'm going to go light one up. I'm going to go yell at my kids. I'm going to go watch some pornography. Like, I understand this. But friends, I'm not going to tell you things are suddenly going to get easy. But I can tell you God is going to walk through it with you. If you have a lion in your life that is tearing you down, you probably can't just use a laser pointer to get out of the house like a little kitty cat. I don't know if that works, but you're going to need to hunt it down. And the only weapons you have to hunt down this lion, they come from God. Like you can't fight a lion by yourself. If you can, then maybe you're like Tan, you train in MMA all the time. But the, the rest of us, we cannot fight a lion on our own. If you are a believer, God will provide his Holy Spirit and his church to help you. But you have to trust him and you have to trust the process. Through hardship, you are growing closer to God. Through your struggles, you will not find him uncaring or unapproachable. J.A. Motyer, he says this, those who are prepared to use this life as an arena of endurance for Jesus' sake will find that an abundant life awaits them from the hand of God. In this world, the onlooker might see them as sacrificing life, as having a wretched time or missing out on life. But what attracts the reward is not their endurance, but their love for God, which prompted it. Mm, that's good. He is with you in your upside and your downside times. The reward of struggle and pain is not always uh, heaven. Sometimes it is enduring presence of the Almighty God who loves you, who will never leave you or forsake you, even though you're a jerk sometimes. Now, uh, many of you have heard me talk about the fact that I was a really bad student growing up. Um, I remember in my math class, I was like doing so bad in my junior math class that she was like, hey, why don't you just like become my aide for the rest of the years and then like keep listening so that maybe next year you could get it. That's how well I did in high school. Um, somehow I managed to earn a 2.1, which is uh, helps you graduate. Then I went to uh, Southwestern College and I ended up on academic probation. Um, I didn't know how to study and I kept getting sick. Like I got mono and I got pneumonia and it was bad. Now, I know college was easy for some of you guys, and I know some of you guys didn't even try it. But for me, I had to grind to pass college. I had to grind to get through. I remember I would wake up at 4 to work on projects, 4 a.m. when I went to college. I used to work all day Friday from early until the evening because I was working full-time at my job. I was married, and I was still going to college. It took me 10 years of working full-time and going to school online for me to finally graduate. It was so important that I flew back to San Diego from Kansas to graduate because I wanted to cross. <laughs> this was so hard for me. I had to grind out education in my life. Now, you, you also know that I love reading books. I just didn't fit into to school very well. Um, but I tell you, once I was finally told, you're going to graduate, 
It gave me such joy. And then I walked across the stage and I had such joy. But I can also tell you, I didn't, like, I was so scared that I wasn't going to graduate that for weeks and months, I still had nightmares that I didn't graduate. I had nightmares that someone came to me and like, hey, you remember how you got a, you forgot that other class. You, you got an F in that and you didn't, so you're not going to, gra- like, I kept having these terrifying nightmares. I would wake up and be like, oh, I didn't graduate still after all this time in school. I'm working so hard. And yet, one day, after all the hardship, after all the struggle, I did cross and I did graduate. Praise God. I know that may not be a lot for some of you, but for me, it was huge and it was finally done. Now, I want to go back to, uh, um, I, I just want to say that I did graduate and one day we will all graduate and there'll be no more pain, no more suffering. And the Bible says that he will wipe every tear away. Now, I want to go back to that Trip Lee song real quick. He says, I feel thorns where my crown was. I'm weak, but I'm alive. From the dusk until dawn, I will survive because I got sweet victory. Nobody can take it from me, sweet victory. Friends, if you have put your trust in Jesus, the trials around you cannot take it from you. Keep fighting the good fight. Don't let struggles break you down. Yes, lions fight back, but God is with you. And one day there will be no more struggles. But until that day, pray often, read God's word often, lock arms with each other, especially when you're struggling, pray for each other, and then accidentally screw up all the time and find a good God ready and waiting to forgive you. And that is the good news, friends, that he is always ready and waiting to forgive you if we confess that he is Lord of our life. And so I encourage you, friends, if you have not made Jesus Lord of your life, why not today? And so here's what I ask, is that we would all silently pray to God and we would confess our sins, the places where we have fallen short, the places that we have invited his wrath, we will invite him to forgive us because of the work done on the cross. So let's pray. God, we thank you that you love us and we ask that you would accept our silent prayers and confessions in this moment. Lord, we're so thankful that there's no no good thing that we had to do to earn this forgiveness. No great grandiose work that would have made you proud enough of us for us to earn your love. That it was already earned by you. That you loved us that much. And God, that when we come to you, you see us as you see our son. When we truly repent of our sin, you look at us and see the perfection of your son Jesus and that just wows us. That you say, as far as the east is from the west, so our sin is from your sight. That is awesome. Thank you for forgiving us. But would you also empower us by the work of your Holy Spirit to move forward? By the work of your Holy Spirit to love others, not in our own power, but yours. What a good God you are. And so we come to you and we thank you that you forgive us. We come to you and we thank you that you loved us before we loved you. And we say, thank you, Lord. We love you and we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.